big walla wallas of the day. The who? The big walla wallas? Yeah, you know that very normal phrase that we all use. Come on, get down with the kids, people. Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries. And we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Scattered. Um, Lovely to be with you again. We left Paul last week um, under Roman guard. Um, He's just revealed that he's a Roman citizen, so his treatment's significantly improved. But the Roman guard is keen to work out what's going on. And so he decides to call a meeting of a religious council to try and get to the bottom of why these Jews are so opposed to Paul. So morning, ladies. I'd love to know your thoughts on this meeting with the religious council. What did you find interesting there and what do you think we can learn? Yeah, I'm not sure it goes to plan. I think the way it ends kind of in carnage again, I imagine that Paul kind of didn't have that in mind when he set out for that meeting. Like he's known for a long time that he's heading to Jerusalem and he kind of probably thought something important was going to happen there. Um, and you kind of the stage is set for this, you know, amazing testimony or something like that. And then just right from the beginning, this Anan- Ananias, this high priest, uh, orders him to be like hit in the mouth, punched in the face. Um, and it just goes downhill from there, really, doesn't it? We know this Ananias is, is a bad guy, like from, from uh, kind of historical records. Um, he ended up actually being killed uh, by his own people. Um, just because he was so corrupt and I don't know what you think Helen I think the thing that really struck me at the beginning is just the fact that he starts the whole thing with brothers you know religious council I am one of you reminding them again I'm one of you I was a Pharisee I'm not you know I'm not some idiot um I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day presumably we're talking about his Christian life not his uh pre-Christian life and just for saying that, the high priest wallops him. Um, I, I, it's just such an interesting um, contrast between Paul, who's saying, I've lived a godly life. I've lived well. I've lived according to the law, you know, because I'm a brother of yours. I'm a Pharisee. I was raised by Pharisees. You know, he's already said this, hasn't he, that he's been trained by Gamaliel. Um, and yet it's the very people who are supposed to uphold the law who ignore the law by treating him in this way. Um, the contrast between the two was interesting for me. The hypocrisy, uh, I found that striking. Mm. Yeah, and also like the, con- I thought the contrast between this trial and like Jesus's trial, which mm-hmm. was before the Sanhedrin, wasn't it? Um, not, you know, years before, but the similarities are there but also the differences isn't there because there's this this in, uh, incident happens doesn't it where he's he uh he offends the high priest and then he cries out doesn't he god will strike you you whitewashed wall like it's it's a curse isn't it he curses this guy um and then everyone's like oh, that, 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 that guy's the high priest and then he he's very quick isn't he paul to admit that what he did was wrong um, he knows from the law that you don't insult um, God's high priest. Um, but yeah, it's unclear, isn't it? Like he's obviously something's gone wrong here. 
um, like Paul's made some kind of mistake, like people disagree as to what extent it was a mistake and what to what extent he was trying to insult this guy. Um, I mean, Paul's not been around in Jerusalem for a long time, so he might literally have not recognized this man. Uh, some people think he didn't have very good eyesight, so he couldn't see who it was that um, uh, caused him to be struck on the face. But yeah, there's there's some kind of error here and uh, and things kind of quickly descend, descend don't they? The thing that really struck me was how quickly Paul is prepared to apologise. Immediately it's pointed out to him that he was the high priest. He is sorry and takes the humble position, doesn't he? I find that super challenging because I find that hard to do, to immediately own up to my mistakes like that. Do you think that's something that we can take from this and learn from Paul? I absolutely took that from this. I think so often um, when I make a mistake and it's pointed out to me how quick I am to self-justify and even using my ignorance as excuse, I won't say sorry, I'll be like, oh, well, I didn't know that. So, you know, I won't say, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that I was an idiot. And not that Paul says he's an idiot, but he says, you know, I didn't, I didn't know. And I know that this is the rule. And so sorry that I did it. Um, whereas I am so quick to self-justify even when I know I've made a mistake like that self-saving self-preserving-ness to me is there at the surface I found it really challenging do you think like the next bit you know when he goes on to say um I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection, like seeing that there were Pharisees and Sadducees there. Do you think he's trying to, I don't know, I was re reading this and just a bit like, is he trying to throw this theological grenade into this situation because it's kind of gone wrong? Or, or I don't know, what did you guys make of that? I read that as quite wise from Paul because I, I think part of he, all the way through we've seen, haven't we, how the Jews are, just fighting amongst themselves. They can't agree on anything and they resort all the time to mob rule and riots. And I, I thought this was Paul thinking, I know that this will cause a massive argument between themselves, between Pharisees and Sadducees. And I think he wanted the council to see that because in Paul's mind, the main problem here is the, the fact that the Jews are fighting amongst themselves all the time and I think it was a really wise manoeuvre from Paul to get the counsellor to see, oh, wait a minute, these guys just, they're, they're not of one mind in any way. I don't know, what did you think? Yeah, I thought he, um, I thought he exploited a difficult situation. Like, I think it's a doves and, um, doves and snakes situation, really. Uh, I thought he, you know, the Sadducees, um, don't believe that there will be a resurrection. Um, the Pharisees that on the council, um, you know, they would they said that there would there would eventually be a resurrection. And so I just felt like I thought Paul uses that um, division as an opportunity to get to the crux of Christianity. Like that's you know um, we've often heard Jumpy say, haven't we? Like the the if the resurrection didn't happen. And, and Paul says it in one of his letters, if the resurrection didn't happen, then our faith is in vain. So I thought it was a really clever move to move the debate from the ridiculous charges against him that were completely baseless to move to the more sort of fundamental theological issue at stake. I was just, I was just thinking that he, 
I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's, if it's super clear either way. I mean, in chapter 24, um, we're going to come back to this issue. He's going to mention this very thing that he said again in chapter 24, verse 21. Um, and again, it's not clear there, but it seems to be that he might think he's made a mistake in that. Um, but anyway, I think this whole thing just kind of upped my respect and love um, for Jesus, because in his trial, he was just Can you imagine being like Jesus wasn't just hit several times. He was like lashed, like he had so much unfair things, so many unfair things said against him. He, you know, he knew he was going to go on and die. um, And yet he kept his mouth shut. Um, And I just think it's a beautiful contrast, isn't it? Like Paul is is human and he, um, you know, the way he lashes out at the high priest or whoever he thought he was lashing out at, whereas Jesus just kept silent. Um, I thought that was a really stark contrast that kind of just encouraged me into just more worship of Jesus. Yeah, it's really clear, isn't it? The contrast between the human Paul and the um, divinely human Christ. Um, So, yeah, I guess we're unclear exactly what went wrong here, but I think we'd all agree that probably Paul was pretty discouraged that evening after having had this opportunity to persuade the Jewish elite and it ended again in a riot that he was rescued from by the Roman authorities. Um, how does God meet with him that night, ladies, to um, restore him and um, give him back a brave heart? Well, he comes to him again, doesn't he? And it's not just a voice. It's not just sort of a, a disembodied voice. It's the Lord stood by him. You know, he was physically there standing beside him and said, take courage. I just thought it was, it was like, it almost sort of brought me to tears and I don't cry as we know, Uh, but like it made me feel really super emotional that, you know, Paul was probably discouraged whether or not he did what he intended to do. He still had to be, you know, he still had to be rescued. It was still a complete, it ended in a complete debacle, didn't it? Um, This time before the Sanhedrin. And yet Jesus is saying, it's okay, you you did what you were meant to do. I protected you and I will continue to do so because you're going to end up in Rome. I just thought it was really kind of him to show a glimpse into the future, but also say, you, you're doing well, keep going. Mm. Yeah, because Paul was probably feeling like he'd let Jesus down, wasn't he? Like, I've had this this chance to testify to all these people, you know, thought I could turn it around I thought this was going to be great um and it's and it's not and but Jesus meets him there doesn't he he I think so often we don't have grace for our own mistakes like sometimes we you know eke out some grace for other people but often we're the hardest on ourselves aren't we um and yet Jesus does he does have grace for us and he comes to us and he says take heart apparently that what Jesus said this take heart phrase Apparently, that's exactly the same as he said a few times um, in the Gospels. He said it to uh, the woman who'd been bleeding. He said it to um, the paralyzed man. He said, take heart, I've overcome the world. It's like a thing that Jesus says. And I think we can we can hear him say that, too, to us. Like when we've messed up, when we feel like we need some encouragement, like he says that to us. Um, I literally like this was so encouraging to me because I had a bad day yesterday. I was quite anxious about some stuff. And I often, when I feel anxious, I just beat on myself. I just think, why don't you have more faith? Why aren't you better by now? Why, 
why do you keep having the same thing over and over again? And then through this passage, I just felt Jesus say to me, take heart, you know, I'm with you. Um, and he stands with us. I love that. He stood with him when he most needed him. And I just think that's beautiful. And I think we need that. Yeah, I agree. It took me back, Mary, to a time when I'd made a mistake in ministry. You know, I had people that were upset with me. And I you, you, I just find myself getting into like this spiral of shame almost of, I can't believe I messed up. And the problem with it is the, the focus is on me, isn't it? And on my mistakes and the things I've done wrong. And I remember a similar incident a couple of years ago and it was in the middle of the night. It often is, I guess, when I couldn't sleep. And you know, the scripture, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Like the Lord really spoke that over my heart. And it was such a good refocusing of, oh, wait a minute, this is the Lord's work. It's his church. He's more committed than you are to it, Jill. And he's going to do it despite your mess and despite your mistakes. And yeah, I, I really related to that um, little passage there because it's a game changer, isn't it? When your eyes move back to Jesus and off your own mistakes. I think a really important part of parenting and is to teach your children to make mistakes well. So as in not teach them to make mistakes, but when they make mistakes, what do you do? Like, do you fall back? onto the grace of God do you fall back onto the grace of other people or do you sort of curl up in a ball and say I hate myself which is what I think I tend to do and I've seen it in my children sometimes you know they they I've heard my son say oh you know when he's made a mistake oh I hate myself and I'm like have I, how, is my reaction to things has have I taught him that and how can I show more outwardly how much I fall back on Jesus's grace when I make a mistake um, we need to make mistakes well and obviously in front of our children so that they can <coughs> then go on and, and know what to do because they will make mistakes um, but then there's grace isn't there definitely and this as well this little section here made me realize how little I think of Jesus as walking beside me when I'm ashamed or embarrassed or I feel like I've done something wrong so often when I'm suffering the first my first thought is oh it's okay Jesus is in the like Jesus is in the pit with me but when it's something like shame it's so often that I think well Jesus won't want to come near me on this I don't necessarily think that um, explicitly in my head but that's basically what I'm saying my shame is too awful or my embarrassment is too awful for Jesus to be walking alongside me whereas here it just shows us that Jesus is walking alongside you no matter what you are doing and he moves towards you no matter what has gone on. Um, yeah, I, I just, it really challenged me to think, to recognise that Jesus walks with me like through all my sin, not just the stuff that I think is really bad. I was listening to something totally <coughs> unrelated yesterday and it was going back to the fact of where is our identity? And actually, if like you talked about our children, Mary, if our identity is children of God, then our love for our children is imperfect but consistent isn't it through their mistakes and we and yeah it was really helpfully reminding me that if our primary identity is God's children then these things don't take that away from us they can't take that away from us um but when we're living out of an identity of our works or our performance then that's where the shame and everything comes from isn't it so yeah I thought that was a super um helpful from the Lord to come and stand by his side and speak truth over him and reorientate him and then we come on to this 
um, fascinating section about the plot <coughs> of these very angry, very hungry men that are um, on the warpath for Paul. What did you find interesting in this section, ladies? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've just heard from Jesus that Paul is going to go to Rome. Okay, so we know that's going to happen. But then we see these men who've like said, right, I'm not going to eat. These 40 men, um, I'm not going to eat until he's dead. Okay, so you're like, oh, it's like a bit, bit of drama there. Um, and you just see, don't you, the, the providence of God. Like it doesn't say explicitly, does it? God did this, God did that. But you just see his providence throughout this, don't you? The way that um, they make this plot, this plot, um, and then uh, Paul's sister's son happens to be there or hears about it. He goes to the barracks and tells Paul. Paul talks to the centurion. Like it's just this catalogue of things which could have gone wrong. Like the centurion could have uh, turned around and said, whatever. Or, you know, the son, the, the son of his sister could have been in the wrong place. Like so many things could have gone wrong. And yet God is just pulling the strings behind this. Um, and, and Paul doesn't need to worry, uh, really. Yeah, I just thought it was um, a beautiful example of God fulfilling his promises through human agents. Uh, you know, all these things seem to go wrong or, you know, the, it's unusual, isn't it? Yet again, we see that the Romans are the reasonable ones. The Jews are the unreasonable ones. Uh, that yeah like you said providentially the son of Paul's sister heard and I was listening to something last night that said that he was probably a, you know a late teen early 20s young man um, and for him to go be able to approach uh, one of the centurions was a big deal but Paul's relationship um, you know Paul's relationship with the Romans was such that Paul could almost tell them what to do you know, Paul's relationship work had had gone been so successful that Paul could take a centurion aside and say, do this. And they did it. You know, God uses relationships and people, unexpected people to bring about what he promised. I thought it was lovely. And um, I took heart from it because when things look like they're not going right and um, when you can't see where God is driving at or what he's driving towards, we can take heart that he is in control of every single little thing, even if we can't see it. And even if it makes us frustrated or angry or upset, he is in charge. I think one of the challenges for me as well was, do we, what, what lens do we view history through? You know, when this massive um, load of troops are gathered to take this one, this one pretty unknown, prisoner from um, Jerusalem to Caesarea you know we we look on that when we're reading the scriptures and think God was on the move God was moving his man towards Rome and he was getting a massive troop of Roman soldiers to do that so that Paul was safe and he was transported in style but it just challenged me to make sure that we view history through the eyes of what's God doing and when it looks weird and it looks like we can't understand are we asking that question? We know God's on the move. We know God's in control. We know God's in control of the pandemic at the minute. And are we training our eyes to look for what God's doing throughout history? Um, mm. I, I find that a really helpful way to view it. Yeah, because this same providence which helps Paul is also the same providence which um, has Paul in prison in the first place? Um, I'm sure Paul might not at some point have thought, 
that being in prison was the best place for him to be or being you know locked up in a in a house somewhere um especially as previously he'd been so free to spread the gospel do this amazing gospel work plant churches in my mind I'm like couldn't he have done that for another 5 10 20 years and you know really built amazingly strong foundations um I think sometimes our best plans and desires are not not realized and instead we find ourselves like confined by God's providence and God's will in our lives um you know things like lockdown or illness um or having another child that we didn't expect or all of these things we find come into our lives um and I think it's it's in those things looking again for God's providence and not just being like oh this this hard thing has happened to me but being like okay God's put me here how can I love and minister in this situation which I think is what Paul does and will go on to do um I found that really challenging yeah it's if we could live that way and if we if our hearts were trained to think that way then it's so freeing isn't it and liberating but I guess there's there's lots of competing voices and we've got to pray and train our hearts to see what God's doing um any final comments on the letter then that is sent with Paul um I guess the thing that made me realize is that that letter is going to open doors isn't it for him to speak to the right people along the journey um Anything else, ladies, that the letter made you think about or reflect on? Yeah, I guess for me, I was as I read this letter, I was like, nowhere has he said that he sort of tried to bind and, you know, stretch out Paul. And, you know, this was an interesting contrast between this letter and Paul's uh, ability to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Uh, yeah, that was that was uh, pretty interesting to me. But also when when you read this summary, it sounds like Pilate uh, discussing Jesus. You know, I found uh, nothing deserving death or imprisonment. This man is innocent. Um, yeah, it, it was just, again, uh, I guess this is something that I've seen in the last few chapters that is still absolutely fascinating to me that I hadn't seen before, is this, this sort of reflection of Jesus. And we see it once again, don't we? Uh, the Romans being used um, in God's story, but the, there is this moment where Paul is completely innocent. He's like, I cannot find anything wrong with him, but I'm going to abdicate responsibility and send him to you at once. You know, it's very pilot-like. I wash my hands of it. Yeah, and I guess we're poised for the next bit of the story and the next chapter and the promise that we've seen from God of Paul's journey ultimately to Rome to talk to the the big Walla Wallas of the day. So um, thanks so much for joining me, ladies. Um, the, the who? The big Walla Wallas? Yeah, you know that very normal phrase that we all use. Um, the chiefs of the day maybe is more appropriate. Um, maybe that didn't translate well into your language, Mary. <laughs> didn't translate well into any language. I don't understand. <laughs> Blackburn local dialect. Yeah, come on, get down with the kids, people. Um, thanks so much, everybody. Lovely to look at God's word with you and see you all next week. Bye. 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 Bye.